Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is C.K. Lin, Noble Warriors, where I interview leaders about their transition from the first mountain of sheer achievement to the second mountain of higher purpose so you can make your journey easier and faster. If you have any friends who are also on that journey, please share this episode with them. They'll really thank you for it. My next guest is Dr. Drew Pearson. He's a consciousness pioneer and an inventor. He's the co-developer of 40 Years of Zen. He's the scientific advisor of Sensei. He's the co-founder of the Holon Experience. He's the co-founder of Hidden Roots Society. He spent his last 25 years really honing on using EEG biofeedback as a way to enhance our brain performance. Here are some of the questions we explore in our conversation. How do your brain waves, alpha, beta, gamma, theta, positively or negatively impact your ability to be a visionary leader? Why is breath work and HRV the proven entryways for cognitive optimization? How to select the right meditation for your specific objective? How to use EEG technologies to accelerate your brain development? What are the different brainwave patterns between world-class performers and everyone else? The unusual training between sleep and wakefulness Einstein and Ben Franklin use to help them innovate better. What are the top three obstacles high performers encounter more than anyone else doing their brain training? Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Drew Pearson. Welcome to Dr. Drew Pearson. Thank you, CK. Really appreciate you, you having me on here. It's a wonderful thing. Thank you. So before we started the camera, we started talking about um, the use of non-ordinary states to help people elevate their consciousness. Now, there are certain uh, assumptions that if we meditate more, if we do more psychedelics, if we go to more Burning Man experiences, automatically we think what would bring more empathy and compassion and joy and kindness to the rest of the world. As a data guy, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I, I think it's very accurate. As long as you have an intention to be there and a purpose to be there, a lot of people do this, a lot of things recreationally without purpose or intention, without guidance. And that leads to kind of like a, a darker night of the soul, right? It, it brings up a, a lot more either pathologies or their traumas that they've had and things like that with, without a lot of the guidance to work through these things. And, and a lot of people have had childhood issues that haven't been resolved. And those tend to come up uh, glaringly as we get into deeper states. And as we resolve those, we're, we're led much more into this equanimity, the, the compassion, the happiness, the bliss, things like that. But those things have to be let go first. We have to move through those aspects. And there's a, a number of different ways to get there, right? You know, meditation, uh, breathing, or, or the traditional ways, yoga, um, things that will help us move there. Then we have the newer things that we're kind of at the precipice of, of garnering all this technology that we have biowearables and EEG technology and transcranial technology to assist us. And, you know, we, we don't want too much force on one end and, and we don't want to 
be remiss and and not really go in fully uh, into these states either. So a question, so let me interrupt real quick. <clears throat> I think the assumption is, hey, some dictator somewhere, let's just grab him somehow and then give him a little bit of psychedelics or a meditation experience and therefore they will receive, you know, they'll have more compassion for the rest of the world and then they will stop whatever it is that they're doing. So since, you know, how time it is we're talking about this, what's what's your opinion on that? Is is it does it need to come from this place of willingness and openness? Yeah, yeah. And and, and you know, forcing someone into that state is not gonna happen. They have mm -hmm. to be willing to be there and, and have that goal. Like I said, the the intention has to be there to really receive the outcome. Um, will they receive a, a little bit? Sure. Um, but not to the effect if you're really wanting to jump into this um, mm. fully and, and have full intention to be there. That's where you're going to get the benefits. Now, my intention to have you with this here at Noble Warriors is that how can we use data? How do we use technology as a way to help guide us? with more intelligent approaches to our mental practice, our emotional practice, our spiritual practice. So you talked about trauma. Is there a way to quantify it, to understand it? So the, there, there's, you know, a, a number of different tools we use um, to determine this. We, you know, whether it's surveys that we're looking at and of course, you're you're doing interviews with people and, and having them access these different states. How how are they navigating their life? What's what are their hangups? And then we look at the EEG, right? And we see certain things and results of traumas. And it could be everything from traumatic brain injury to um, different emotional traumas that will will come up. And fear, the amygdala, the, the center of, of, you know, how we react to things and how it controls the prefrontal cortex is firing too hot or, or not firing enough and, and not giving a good input. And we become very reactive and we can, we can see those different things. Or we have this area called the cingulate, the prefrontal, the, what we call the anterior cingulate. And a little perturbation there, a little bit of uh, type of OCD rumination can be very good for CEOs, right? Just a mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. So it, it drives them, but it also can lead to burnout. But it also, you know, if it's too much in, in someone that doesn't have the uh, wherewithal to have lower frequencies to really balance them and anchor them then it, it becomes too hot and too high and they just ruminate on that. They can't go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Everything becomes anxiety and the brain doesn't shut off. It, it's, it's these things that kind of emanate from that. With trauma, we see a lack of alpha a lot of times too. And alpha is this bridge frequency between deep state and the higher thinking state. And without that, we don't recover well. And I saw this a lot with um, guys coming back from war, uh, especially down here in San Diego, a lot of guys coming back, uh, Camp Pendleton and things like That's that. Right. 
mm-hmm. um, whether it's you know they're they're the, the pilots or or the SEAL team or whatever when, when they're coming back and they haven't nurtured the alpha aspect and it's been suppressed for so long they have trouble just recovering and everything becomes too much it's like having a sunburn and going back out into the sun right and it's painful whereas otherwise it wouldn't be painful if you didn't have that sunburn so the suppression of these frequencies in alpha lead to uh, even more trauma or, or inability to navigate life day to day. So the way I think about my own development, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, um, everything stems from the mind, right? So I like to think of this as structural approach, as in the physiology of my brain, right? The, the signal processing, the physiology, basically what you specialize in. Mm-hmm. And that's one pillar. Another pillar is the sort of the core narratives that I have, the lens I view through the world, right? And then the third is the, um, what goals do I pick? The attainment of the goal, do I mean picking the right goals and so forth? So I'm curious to know your perspective as someone who, helps other people to get to the optimal state of performance. Where do you start off? Yeah, those are wonderful entry point. Those are wonderful pillars, by the way. Um, The entry point, I I think for most people is always breath, Mm. like breath work. Um, And I start out a lot of people on what we call HRV or heart rate variability. Um, so that they can find that coherence in the heart and the breathing because that sets up their whole nervous system Mm. and by doing that intentionally then we can set up the the heart really initiates a lot of stuff that happens in the brain and if this is incoherent if this heart aspect is incoherent a lot of our intentions and our mindsets uh, become slightly incoherent also We, we don't we can't bloom fully uh, when, when that has not been developed completely. So breath is always key. You always want to start with breath, mm. uh, work in the heart, and then you can start working on the thinky, thinky aspects of who we are and what we do. <laughs> okay, so, so a good first step is um, looking at HRV, the, the, the heart-brain coherence. Yeah, it's interesting. Can you say more about that? Because a lot of people would, let's see, where do I even begin? It's hard to articulate this because there's not a good sort of a roadmap, the staircase of how to go about this. So the way I approached it, if you name a program or a technology or modality, chances are I've tried it. And it's very much a subject experience. So I was, I've been looking for instrumentation and data points to help me like, okay, so here's recipe step one, two, three, four, five for me. So I'm curious as an instrumentalist, what's, what's your perspective there? So there's a, there's a number of different instruments you can use out there. We, uh, athletes have been using HRV, um, for a couple of decades, at least to look at recovery rates, you know, how, how well they're doing, how well they're sleeping, things like that. Um, the aura ring is a, a mm-hmm. big one that we can take a look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so how well did we sleep? What's our milliseconds in, re in, in recovery and things like that? Heart math is one that's easy to use that you can just clip to the ear. Um, they, they have other professional gear out there like somatic vision and things like that, um, but they're harder to use and, and require a lot more supervision. But heart math is easy to use and uh, you can clip in to that really easy to clip it to your ear and uh, train in the breathing aspect they have and, and look at your, your heart rate variability. Um, the Sunsay cap uh, will right. also, that, that uh, I'm, um, you know, a uh, scientific advisor for here is uh, a big proponent of that. And, and we have that so that it can train you in HRV. So it's looking at that beat to beat interval. And let me step back and HRV is uh, the beat, the, the spacing between the beats of the heart. So we don't mm -hmm. want it so uniform. We want a variability there so we can be flexible. And when we get into stress, it becomes very tight. And then our heart rate variability goes down. But when, when we're in ease and motion and flow, it, it, it's free flowing. And, and it's, a, it's a, that coherence in the heart sets up a bigger field and it affects people around you too. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, one of the biggest tricks I, I use, let's say for teams, uh, whether it's executive or, or SEAL teams or whatever, um, or groups of people, everyone gets into the same breathing rate and they have their heart rate variability in, on and, and they're training this, right? spend 15, 20 minutes doing that and you shift the whole outcome of a, uh, a meeting, basically. Mm, interesting. So it makes it so much easier. It, the flow just goes so well, rather than, than the kind of like this monkey mind, um, an area in the brain, what we call Broadman area seven, it becomes very uh, self-focused and you start worrying about what the other people think. And as that quiets down with the breathing, with the HRV training, all of a sudden you kind of let go of those perturbations, basically. And you're, you're more, your equanimity toward the group is, is much bigger. And all of a sudden things move better and agreements happen faster. And you're much more in sync. The, the same thoughts are coming out. And you're flowing in the same direction. And you can do this with couples too. Um, I think that's one of the, the biggest thing that, that I've done is watching couples come into synchrony. Now they can synchronize in trauma too, which is mm -hmm. which a lot of people do. They, they, they get stressed and all of a sudden they're together and, and they synchronize in trauma and they're in that all the time. And, and they, it's an instant conflict neurologically all the time. But once they start breathing, together and getting that heart in sync together, then that changes how they interact. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is, this is who we are together. And mm. it, cha it changes everything. So question there, <clears throat> sounds awesome. I love it, right? I'm a practitioner, I'm a evangelist for such practices. How do you enroll a bunch of whether it's corporate guys, or military guys, or couples in conflict 
into doing a practice like that? Because I think it's not the practice itself. We know it's effective, right? Based on mm -hmm. data and anecdotes and all those things and experiential, right? But get them to do those things. Did you have any, um, I don't want to say trick, but any, any way to help them to be more well, open-minded about such practice? Well, typically it happens uh, if you can get a group or, or a person into a more comfortable setting where they're not judged and then they can experience it for themselves, then they share. Mm. So uh, whether it's a couple, if, if they're doing it by themselves and they start feeling much better, all of a sudden they're going to share it with someone else or they'll share it with a team member. And after a couple of them have done this, they're going, wow, let's, let's try this together and see how it feels. And it'll be non-judgmental in, in, in that case. And it really moves a, a team rather quickly. And, but you wanna get the, basically the leader on board because without the leader on board, uh, things won't shift because the intention won't be there. It, it'll be a critical factor of like, okay, we're, we're not going to really keep doing this and, and keep it as part of our, our, our trend because uh, the leader's not on board. The leader becomes the pendulum, right? And if you had a whole bunch of clocks on the walls with these pendulums, if you had one, they had a bigger pendulum than the others. If you start swinging it, a certain rate, all the other little pendulums start swinging the same rate. It's pretty wild to watch that happen. And neurologically, the same thing happens too. So if you have someone that's in a, a leadership role, how they resonate will affect the whole group or whole team. Uh, so if you don't mind, let's switch gear a little bit. Let's talk a little bit it about the use of psychedelics because that's really popular these days to help us get to a state of calm using microdosing or other modalities. Mm -hmm. um, um, let's see. What is the current state? What's the most interesting things happening in, in that realm today? Well, thank goodness we're going toward uh, the direction of, hey, let's explore this more, whether, you know, they're using MDMA for couples therapy, whether they're using ketamine for more trauma, whether they're using mushrooms for depression, anxiety type of things. Uh, they're finding these things very effective um, um, and, and long lasting. So like if you're doing microdosing, Silicon Valley is just, you know, heavy into this right now. And they're using it for new ideas, those aha moments. And what we're seeing is, is this neuroplasticity really go up during the times uh, after usage and they can form ideas. They can be more, become more flexible in their thoughts. Now, too much is, is also detrimental. Um, so a lot of people dive in really hard and they have ill effects from that, right? Because it's- Can you say it, more about that actually? So- um, Let me just qualify that a little bit before you answer. Um, when new people experience anything new and then they experience extraordinary results, um, then what they think is more is better. 
oh, I just had an amazing experience with meditation. Definitely more meditation is better or, you know, psychedelics or whatever the thing is, the peak experience. So I'm curious to know, how do you find that fine line between this is good, but this is too much? Well, you want to always work with someone that's been through these states before. Um, Self-experimentation, you can do it, but it's a little bit more iffy on results and Keeping a journal is going to be key. Um, ha- having verbal, kind of like 360 feedback from those people around you is going to be key also. Because you can be very delusional about what you're getting out of this. If you become irrational and, and moody and, and reactive, then that's not necessarily the, the, rate, the way you want to go. Um, I give this analogy, you, you know, with anything, whether it's tech or psychedelics or, or, or anything that you're going to go down, running is really good. It gets up the heart rate, gets the blood flow. But if you have a knee injury, it's not necessarily the correct thing for you, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's individualized. And that's why I really like about EEG and, and things like that. We can really map out the brain and show what's correct for that person. So with any, anyone knowing certain things, um, if I do a brain map on them, let's say, we, we look at certain things. And if it's very unstable, I probably would never recommend that they try anything like that because we mm. want to get that stability up first. Um, for some people, moving through that, having that connection is, is very important too with couples. Like I said, they... They can uh, really synchronize in trauma, but by doing certain therapies, they synchronize much more into a calm, focused, supportive type of energy between the people. So it really has to be individualized. I wish I could just give you a blanket and go, okay, there you go. Yeah. I'm Noble Warrior, by the way. I personally don't believe a one-size-fits-all approach. That would be my one size fits all (laughs) philosophy, right? There is no one size fits all. (laughs) Now, now, yes, there's, uh, so recently I had a Harvard researcher, Todd Rose on, and he is, um, studies the science of a foment. And he uh, did a large uh, survey about um, once, personal private definition of success and then what do you think society's uh definition of success is and varies dramatically basically my the point of me mentioning that is exactly there's a science of individuality so for for me why i'm excited about an instrumentation like sensei as an example is now we get to individualize our own approach to mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual development. And I think that's really, really important. That, that's the reason why I'm super excited about that. Can you and, say and, more about the science of individuality a little bit more? Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's key. So let's say we want to get into meditation, but which one do we get into, right? Let's say we're a little bit ADHD. We have a little bit of focus issues, right? Which one do we go into? Do we go more into compassion? Or, or, or do we go more into a focus or a mindfulness? Um, you want to center that much more toward basically, you know, what you, 
want to get out. So like you want to, with focus, you want to improve your focus intention. So you get much more into a focus type of um, style of meditation. If, if you're much more under stress, anxiety, but you don't have an issue with focusing, you want to get more into a mindfulness practice, calm awareness, right? If let's say you're a couple or in depression or something like that, you want to become more into that uh, compassion type of meditation, the open heart. That'll improve your mood. You become more, more empathic, loving, kind, right? And let's say you're a little bit more on the OCD side or obsessive, rumination, and, and, and you can't stop thinking about things. And it's 3 a.m. and you're still worried about your presentation, right? eating disorders and things like that. Uh, you want to get much more into a, a quiet mind type of meditation. So those are like four different types of meditations that you could go into depending on your uh, propensity towards certain states. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't do all of them, but, but you, you really cultivate which one speaks to you. And then you can work in certain others. And a lot of people practice variations within that. Absolutely. Regarding my own journey in finding the practice that works for me, I start off with reading books, you know, the eight minute meditation, even that was really, really hard back then. And then luckily I stumbled upon TM and then I really went deeper into different modalities like breath work. And then I stumbled upon uh, Jeffrey Martin's course, Finder's course, where he introduced, I think, like 25 different meditation um, type of techniques to um, help people get in there. So again, I love that there's an instrumentation that we could have uh, used as a reference point to use data to help guide us on what's the best for us. Yeah. And, you know, we all may be starting at different points, right? Uh, um, whether it's stress, anxiety, whether it's attention, wh whether it's empathy. Um, it, it doesn't matter where you're starting. Where you're going toward is basically uh, toward a similar goal. You know, you, you want more of the equanimity. You want more compassion in your life. Uh, you don't necessarily want to get stuck just in empathy where you're feeling other people's pain and, and taking that on and creating more stress in yourself. You want to move past that, past that into compassion, right? So uh, part of that is, is doing a, a gratitude type of practice along with that. Um, so coupling that is, is a big thing. But we want to feel better. We want to feel more in balance. We want to feel less in reactivity. So we want to interact, right, in a way that, that we choose to interact. And the brain states uh, that I typically train in people is so that they are not in reactionary mode. You know, you do this, I do that. They can choose to be what state they, they want to be in. And if it's appropriate to go 100 miles an hour and really get things done and really focus, awesome. But at midnight, this is not the time to do that. You want to slow down and, and kind of ease in and, and relax. And, and when you're interacting with someone and, and it becomes a 
kind of like a, a timeless interaction. You want to be in that flow state. You don't want to be neurologically aggressive, basically. That, 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 that really sets the tone for, for, for reactivity. Rather, you want to be much more into open heart and, and really feeling. And, and that's when you start synchronizing. And that's when you're going, oh, wow, we really connected there, right? Mm. And the more you practice the breathing and the HRV and these certain states, the easier uh, you can get into state with people and, and really flow with them. Mm. So everything that you said, I had to learn it. And then I believe that it's a learnable skill, meeting people where they're at, being authentic and synchronizing our emotionality, our, that vibe, right? The gestalt. Um, when I first started, is I, w I was very cerebral, still am very cerebral, but at least now I have a choice. Now I can say like, oh, okay, it doesn't quite feel like we're sinking. So let's, let me practice the skills that I've learned over the years to meet people where they're at. So yeah, that's and, and, and that's a big point. Uh, and I learned this early on when I started working, I was working with uh, pediatrics with kids with the EGs and it really brought me, they don't care about paper on the wall, what your degree is or, or anything. They want to connect. And what I learned very early on is that once you're in sync with them, once you can hear them and they feel that they're being heard, everything shifts. So you're engaging with them. And, and it's a neurological dance, basically. And you lose your ego in that moment. And it's not about you, it's, it's, it's about helping them, right? And, and that changed my perspective so quickly working with kids. And uh, then working with adults, teaching them to lose themselves in the moment, that's when they're really gonna flow. If they're con so concerned about themselves in that moment, then they fail. I think this is a skill that they should really teach in schools. Yeah, such absolutely. an important life skill to interact with oneself, to interact with another human being, to interact with groups, to facilitate large um, interaction. Well, you, you know, in, in the interview you were just talking about, right? I, I, I listened to that um, a while back and it, it was brilliant because, you know, it's not really about what other people are thinking. Well, what's really holding you back? You know, it, it's it's these things in the mind that that we think are perceptions of others, and, and it's not that. What would we be in our authentic self? What do we really want? And that's when we really start opening up. It's that that critical thought of like, oh my goodness, what are they going to think if I say this or do that? And we become worried in that moment. So we don't dance. We don't sing, right? We don't do well. We don't keep practicing, you know. I suck on guitar, so, you, you know, I'm not going to just, people are going to judge me. But if you keep practicing, if you keep doing these things, little by little, it builds up. And, and there's a number of things you can do in your life. And, and those pillars that you have are key to building that environment to propel you forward rather than keeping you stuck. 
and basically people become stuck in mediocrity because it's very comfortable, right? Mm. It's easy. It's predictable. Um, you know, uh, going back in the day, Minnie Cooper had this incredible commercial about, you know, easy and mediocrity and comfortable, but that's not where you shine. That's not where you really propel yourself forward. It's being slightly uncomfortable, but moving with passion. Mm. That's what Noble Warrior is about. That stays in the name. A lot of people think that this is a Noble Warrior is about martial arts. It's about you know being at war. It's actually not that at all. To me, noble is higher self, our mm -hmm. aspirational self, our best self. And warrior is the willingness to lean into the discomfort, the inner resistance, the willingness to confront whatever is there that stops us from really shine and strive for what we deeply care about. So that's yeah. what Noble Warrior is really all about. And, and that's key right there, that, that statement right there. So that eight-minute meditation that you got into that was difficult in the beginning, right? <laughs> for for anyone where their weakness is, that's the meditation they go into. It's going to be the hardest. Just keep that in mind, but keep moving through it until it, it no longer is difficult. And then it, you, you'll be surprised like, oh, wow, I have shifted. I have changed. And, and it's going to be key for, for their development uh, overall. And, and you look at martial arts, right? You, you're not doing this just to fight. You're doing this for self-control. You're doing this for mastery of self. And we do that in EEG too. We don't want like the biggest alpha frequency in the world. We want to be able to control that. So is it a little bit or, or is it not enough? You, we want to be able to dial that in. It's just like driving, you know, when you're on your high on the highway, not in L.A., but when you're on a regular highway, uh, you, you want to drive appropriately, right? 60, 70 miles an hour. When you're driving through a neighborhood, you're not going to drive that, that speed. So you need to dial that down. So controlling the brain is much like that. You, you want to drive at the speed that's appropriate and not have it drive you. And you're just at the steering wheel and just trying to control. Yeah, let's double click on that uh, for a moment. So let me quote Viktor Frankl. He says, uh, between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space lies our freedom and growth. And what we're talking about is to lengthen that space and to have more options. So that way we don't just pick the only first one that we have. Mm -hmm. and, and let me go down even deeper. A lot of people think about lower self, higher self options. They always demonize the lower self. No, I, from my perspective, lower self response is appropriate sometimes. When you're falling, you want that quick self-defense survival instinct to kick in. You don't want to like think about, <laughs> take time. Yeah, that's not what you want. It's not appropriate in that situation. And cultivating that and working with those lower responses time and time again, when you become under duress or you're in an emergency, that's what you're going to default to, right? So by working on those things, you'll default 
to those aspects because it's been trained so well. And creating that space and time meditation and breathing does that very well. So you, it gives you that choice, that time. Some emergency happens. Do you get quieter and are able to see things? There's a, a time dilation that happens in people that are able to go into that stress. You know, whether uh, it's, a, you know, a, a bombing or a shooting or, or, or an accident or something like that. Those people that are able to shift in, into that basically more relaxed state during that time are able to move about where people would freeze up typically. And, and that's why you're training this mastery, not because there's going to be accidents or traumas or something like that, but so you can navigate anything that comes in your way. So Dr. Drew, follow-up question to that point. This is me asking, I'm curious. From my perspective, resilience is earned through transmuting trauma, hardship, difficulties, challenges of life. And I used to think that I could bypass it by reading books about other people's trauma and challenges and so forth. And then I obviously life happens. I had to went through it like, oh, whatever I thought my intellectual understanding was totally superficial. So some schools of thought, some people think like, hey, I can just meditate and then I'll have resilience. And I think, yes, but and um, resilience is earned through living through one's own difficulties. So, so therefore, put yourself in situations where you endure physical intensity, emotional intensity, or whatever the thing is, is a useful practice. Thoughts on this premise, is resilience earned or can you um, bypass and go directly to bliss? Well, it's, it's earned and trained and, and, and then you can step into bliss. Um, people like that bliss state, um, more of what we call more of a gamma state, a very, very high level. That doesn't mean you're necessarily um, resilient. Resilience is the ability to come back to center after being pushed off course or something has happened, right? The faster you can come back, the faster you can center, the better and more resilient you become. And we train that in different meditation is one of them. The other one we train in uh, higher uh, frequencies, a, a lower beta frequency. And, and this frequency um, really helps our, our bucket kind of get bigger. We can only make so many decisions during the day before we start neurologically making mistakes. So these slower frequencies start popping up and, and we start missing things and, and we start making mistakes. There was some study done on pilots a while back down here at Top Gun. And um, they, they were looking at, you know, how, how long they could fly without making mistakes. And, and certain brain waves came up during the time. When they trained those frequencies um, to lower the slower frequencies and increase this uh, lower beta frequency, over time, they could fly longer and longer and longer without making those mistakes. And we see that in Olympic athletes, we see that in executives, 
so they're you're able to go longer and longer throughout the day and, and all the people i work with they're able to you know at 4 p.m they don't have to close the door and go okay i need a drink because i'm kind of done for the day <laughs> and and people start making more mistakes you know in the evenings you know in in their mm-hmm. self-control whether it's eating or, or, or drinking or who you're associating with and what you're doing what kind of tv shows you're watching even mm-hmm. um once the resilience is gone, your weaknesses start to show the cracks in the pavement, right? But if that that resilience is cultivated, you're able to withstand a lot more, making better decisions. Um, and, and if I could diverge real quick into like decision making, you, you want to make your your day so you don't have to make a whole bunch of little decisions to take out that that oomph. So you can make a, a bigger decision. So, you know, uh, planning your meals, planning what clothes you're going to wear, uh, you know, having a, a schedule um, are, are going to be key for, for people. And knowing when to say no. A lot of people just load things on and all of a sudden, you know, by noon, they're just, they're tapped out. And then they get irritated. They get angsty. They, they become their teenage self again, right? And they don't want to do things and they're reactive. So by r- really working through that through the day and being very mindful, or you even take a, a meditation break or, um, during the day too will really, uh, you know, empty that bucket so you can fill it more later on in the day. So it's a two-part question. So since you're the EG meditation guy, right? You're the data guy who trains world-class executives, athletes, and so forth. Do they look to you and think like, oh, Dr. Drew must be a you know, living Buddha all the time? I'm much more calm than I used to be, that's for sure. Um, doesn't mean I still don't get stressed and I, I don't worry and sometimes where the key change, or there's a couple of key changes, is um, my excitement for life, my excitement for miracles. I'm, I'm looking for those interesting points. And, and if you're driving down the road, right, and someone cuts you off and you're instantly reacted, you know, oh, he's, that's a mindset of scarcity, thinking like, you know, oh, this road is owned by me. And if they're taking up my space, it's, that's mine, right? It's, it's not, you go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on with them. So if you, if you keep your curiosity up, all the thing, all of a sudden things change. That, that's a key point. Keep your gratitudes up too. Be really grateful for things in your life or the learnings that you're having in the moment. And if you're doing that every night, at least, it shifts how well you sleep. It shifts your, your cycles and patterns, it shifts the coherence in the heart, you know, so, so gratitude is way underrated. And um, things like forgiveness are, are way underrated too. Because mm-hmm. typically, if something happens to us, and we react, we're, we're not reflective during that moment, we're, we're reactive, right? And if we're able to step back and go, oh, 
this is interesting. Why am I reacting this way? And do a gratitude because you just caught yourself doing that. It, it changes everything. Let's say you're a quarterback under, you know, a key moment, you know, in a game. And, and, and you know, we're each quarterbacks in our own lives. If we're so worried about the last play, we're not in time. And all of a sudden, that alpha I was talking about before, that's suppressed. So the next play that we're going to do, we're going to screw up. You want the alpha to burst during that time. You, you want that flow to happen during that time because you're not hanging on to that mistake. You're not hanging on to that interruption. You're, you're, you're feeling the flow and, and, and you're feeling the beat of what's going on. And those are key things to train. And, you know, I have brain training to train, train those things, right? We put on headsets or EEG leads and we're, we're looking when that pulses and we're training that time and time and time and time again. And, but doing things like, uh, if they don't have something like that, they can do like uh, binaural beats, right? Um, like actually work as binaural beats? Now, now, now there, there's a range. So a certain percentage of people, it works very well. Anyone mm. with auditory issues, it's not going to work very well. So I would say probably 30 or 40% of the people it works okay. The, the other part with, with auditory processing, it doesn't work very well. Mm. So it's, it's gonna vary. Upper frequencies like, like um, uh, higher beta and gamma, I, I recommend gamma. I'm not, I'm not a fan of anything of the lower frequencies with binaural beats. So many people have instabilities in lower frequencies that if they start using it, they kind of bring up their instabilities even more. But with gamma, like 40 hertz, it, it, it tends to help with focus. It tends to help with mood and bliss. Doing too much of that, though, will cause irritation. You know, more is not uh, better. That explains why I'm irritated yeah. after. <laughs> so 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 do a little bit less and don't do it before bed my goodness uh, a lot of people do things like that at the higher frequencies before bed and then they can't sleep it's like mm. drinking a, a cup of coffee before right so I, I i think for anyone cultivating their life uh sleep hygiene is going to be very important mm. uh, probably the most important uh the if you're important yeah, if your sleep is off, everything else is off. You, you have this thing called glymph in your brain. It's like lymph in the body, right? And if you're going into the proper deep sleep, that glymph is helping take out the garbage. If it's not, that garbage is building up. It causes more inflammation. It causes brain fog. It causes really bad decisions because our brain is inflamed. And if we're going off lack of sleep and we're irritated, we're going to be much more reactive. So getting the brain out of inflammation, doing sleep hygiene, getting movement in is going to be a key thing. So neuroplasticity really requires certain things like blood flow and, and good nutrients. So uh, food is going to be a, a key. Eat real food. You know, don't eat anything prepackaged. You know, get your good fats in, get, get your uh, good proteins in. Um, don't spike the insulin with simple sugars and a lot of carbohydrates. 
because because we see that effect you know even when i hook up the eeg and look at people after they've eaten you know a really carb heavy meal they tank they tank quick neurologically mm-hmm. so having that insulin spike is not necessarily a good thing um now people can argue well i'm training for this or training for that well that that's few and far between that's fine if they're doing carb loading awesome but Typically yeah, it's work. one of those things that they need to be aware of both the benefit, but also the cost. If you yeah. go into doing carb loading, that's fine, but know the cost of what's going to happen to your mood and your cognitive abilities and all that stuff. And, and within this, you, you know, what, with the pandemic, right, everyone was on Zoom, <laughs> eight hours, 12 hours of Zoom meetings during the day. Uh, you're not taking care of yourself during that time. So typically, you know, if you're in meetings, you want to, you know, maybe spend 45 minutes and then five to 15 minutes of movie. And then you can come back. But a lot of people don't do that. So they, they really neurologically tax themselves because they're not taking those breaks. This up and down cycle is key. We're biological beings. We're, we are not machines. We're just not. And, and I, I know you enjoy Taoism, and, and, and that's a, a key tenet in my world, too, with traditional Chinese medicine, as, as we look with acupuncture and, and Chinese herbs and things like that. We're looking at a person from their balance. You know, is it too much yang? Is it too much yin? Is it the right balance of, of things? And, and we meet them where they at, where they're at, and help them, guide them through to excellence, right? To cultivate uh, things that that might come up if we do too much stimulation. It's not necessarily good for people. You know, a lot of people. Oh, we're we're going to have a Red Bull, right? And, and <laughs> yes, okay. more more stimulation the better. Yeah, but but it drains them, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden you know, they burn out. It, it's like not having enough oil in your car, you know, all of a sudden you're on the side of the road and, and steam is coming up, right? And your engine is seized up. And we, we compensate neurologically very well, but there's also an aspect where you push yourself too far and these cells can't keep up with the nutrients and the blood flow. And all of a sudden there's cell death. And we start missing words and we start getting confused and we start getting angsty and angry and reactive. And it's because we haven't really worked with ourselves to take those breaks and really come back. So pause real quick. I want to ask you a question about data. So some people may say, Hey, you guys are using data too much. It, you know, you're talking about something that's the higher level, higher consciousness, and the higher intuition. You're using a reductionist approach to trying to, you know, single dimension something that's very, very complex. Uh, I don't think that's what we're saying. What would you say to people who thinks that, um, hey, we're using technology, we're using data too much to single dimension that's something that's you know, ultimately a higher level, higher function. Yeah, you, you know, it, it can be very reductionistic in, in value, right? You, you know, Western medicine has done that. Well, one pill 
you, you know, you get one pill for your headache and, and one, one pill for your, your, your blood pressure and one pill for your diabetes. And it doesn't take the, the whole account of, of the person and the spirit in, in, into, you know, the, the focus of what we're really looking at. So if I'm looking at EEG and HRV, right, the, this electrical activity of the brain, it's, I'm gaining insight into what's going on in the brain in that moment. Now, if I take that information and, and take it into the feeling of, oh, that's what alpha feels like. And what we're doing is getting to a point where we're really cultivating the feeling of what that is. So we can unhook the EEG and then go about our life and produce the same feeling and be basically self-sufficient in that. We can turn on gamma when we want. We can turn on this bliss and we feel really good. Um, with alpha, you know, when I want to turn on, I think about that feeling of what it was back then. And for me, I, I get this buzz down because uh, it's kind of like a dual mohawk down, down, down my head. And I know exactly when I'm producing spindles alpha because this is the feeling I get neurologically. And then when it's really going good, it, it, it encompasses my whole body. So I know what state I'm in, even if I'm meditating and I don't necessarily need the EEG at that point. What I would ultimately want to do is become uh, tech-free, but we need to learn the states first. We want to be able to, you know, if, if you've ever met a guru that's just in such a high state and you walk into their presence, you feel really good and they shift you. Their pendulum is swinging big and you're going, wow, okay, I'm buzzing right now. And working with ourselves to become that pendulum that affects other people around us in a very good way, right? This is, this is what we're working on. And do you have to have tech to do that all the time? No, but it gives us uh, this view that this microscope into what's going on and it's not going to encompass everything. It, you know, can we look at the spirit in this? No. Uh, can, can we look at all the different electromagnetic states that are going in between glia cells and astrocytes and between the cortex and the No, we can see the endpoint of this and, and hopefully interpret this, right? It's like interpreting dreams. If you're a Jungian therapist and you're really into this dream aspect, you know, we take these bits of information and go, okay, how does this guide us in our life? How does it give us insight? And we have to pull that apart. And that's key. And that's key in meditation. When you're meditating and certain things come up, you, you want to pull those apart and go, okay, this is why I'm fearful. Oh, th this is what's impacting me. Right? 100%. The metaphor we use in Noble Warrior is the dojo metaphor. You know, in a dojo, you practice different moves, different katas. You don't obviously use those katas in a real situation. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> but you train yourself so you have that muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a real situation, when you're falling, this is a great example, you have that muscle memory to fall correctly, to minimize the damage and to maximize the probability of appropriate response. And I think for me, that's what we're talking about here. I love the way you said it. You've, 
Our goal is to be tech free, but these are just training wheels, the mechanics that we could use to uh, elevate our competency so that eventually we could get to unconscious confidence. That's in my yeah. mind why we're doing this. And with anything, with supplements, with, with, with psychedelics and things like that, you don't want to have to count on those to get to these certain states. You want to be able to bring up that state within yourself. You want to master that control so that you don't need those things anymore to, to reach those highs and, and, and that openness and that connectivity between people. A lot of people we use those things, whether it's alcohol or drugs or something like that for escape because of pain. But if they've looked into that pain and let that go, they don't have to seek those uh, behaviors out. Um, you, you know, a lot with alcoholism, we, we see a lot of very like PTSD, a lot of reduced alpha. So they, they drink alcohol, what happens? The alpha comes up and they feel better and they feel normal, right? But if they did that through EEG training or meditation or something like that, all of a sudden the alpha comes back and they don't necessarily go toward that drink to feel normal again. They, they're, they're able to unleash themselves at that, at that point and they get control, which is key. So uh, let's zoom out for a moment, Dr. Drew. <clears throat> so let's zoom out on the maps of consciousness, the elevation, mm -hmm. the evolution of consciousness. And obviously people have tried to articulate, visualize, communicate different phases uh, of, let's say, conscious evolution. I think uh, Tibetan have used the elephant and rider approach, right, to try to talk about it. Dr. Hawken to power versus force, spiral dynamics, right, different levels of consciousness, all different kinds of ways to, um, to, to try to quantify, try to describe these different stages. I think latest that I've seen that I thought was really interesting was uh, Jeffrey Martin's work in different location one, two, three, four, and so forth, fundamental well-being. So I'm curious, since you're a data guy, right? Mm -hmm. you, you are also a, a practitioner of, of uh, holistic practices. What mapping have you seen as does a really good job in trying to describe different phases and locations of this map of this evolution of consciousness so as as we see better control let, let's say I'm, I'm mapping someone that's done 40 years of meditation right they're going to have a, a certain signature uh, of eeg and let, let's say i'm working with a, a very specific healer that does remote healing and, and all of a sudden i i see this band of theta prefrontally I know that they're producing that and, and we see that. And then, then on top of that, they have gamma. So if they're able to produce these things, we know that they can do these states. And with a higher meditation, their alpha comes up and, and then it starts to come forward. And the, and the more advanced they are, let's say it's your first or second year just meditating without any tech or anything like that. Alpha is going to be more the back of the brain and then it'll start moving forward. And the more advanced you get, the more forward it becomes. And then it'll peak, it'll peak in amplitude. It'll be really big for years. And then all of a sudden 
we see a shift as you become more advanced, the brain becomes much more efficient. And all of a sudden the amplitudes go way down. And it's like, oh, it's, it's quiet. So there, we, we have different levels. So we have a DC level, a direct current level in the brain produced by gliocells, astrocyte type thing. And control of that is key for when neurons fire or don't fire. Basically, it's a threshold thing. And then we have all the other frequencies on top of it. So when they start controlling that, uh, you can control things like pain and epilepsy, and it really gains control of the whole neurology. And then you do the frequencies on top of it. So it's, it's like a layered cake. So we want to see all these layers come up in development. And, and then you can control and drive them the way you want. Um, mm. and, and that's going to be key is efficiency and how you drive them. Uh, it's, it's more is not necessarily better that, that we've all, always said. Um, efficiency is, is better. We don't want one area over firing or under firing. We want the appropriate. It's, it's that Goldilocks spot. It's that sweet spot of just enough to get that done. We don't need more. We don't need less. Yeah. It reminds me of when you see a martial artist who's a master in his right, his own right, the movement is graceful. It's minimal. And it exactly. Maximum impact. And it's like, oh, that's such a beautiful dance to witness when you see someone just, just world-class and they have full control of their body and, you know, world-class athletes or martial artists or dancer, you just see them just move through life with so much grace. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And they make it look easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, then I you, could do that. I could totally do that. You but know, you, look clumsy, <laughs> that you look clumsy all the way through. And, and you, you know, I, I was working with a race car driver at one point and, and got to try out a little bit of driving. And, you, you know, I, I noticed my grip on the wheel, right? Oh, my goodness. You know, I'm, I'm trying to muscle the car the way through. And, and then when I saw him drive, it was just smooth and easy. And, and it was like, oh, I, he's in the zone of very comfortable at that pace, at that movement and things like that. So we, we, we tend to tense up during key moments and that suppresses all the key elements of flow so we're not able to go in into those it becomes effortless yeah and one of my uh, mentors early on said anything worth doing is worth doing effortlessly oh interesting and, and, which is and, very and, different than what other people say it's and it's that, it's at that point that you have become a master of this, like the master that you were talking about, that they make it look easy, but the, their, their movement and flow is so precise and, and, and in such amount of training that it's second nature to them. And, you know, they, they produce tones and, and, you know, whether they're playing the violin, right? They're, they're able to produce nuances that other people cannot because they practice so much in perfection. Practice doesn't necessarily make perfect practicing a much more in mastery does. Yeah.
So since you have worked with a lot of world-class people in terms of accelerated learning, have you seen a common, maybe not common, common denominator in terms yeah. of like best practices in accelerating learning and mastery of any sort? So th there's, there's key things. Um, there's speed of reaction in the brain, how fast the, the neurons set and reset. So when I'm doing brain maps, I can look at someone and go, okay, they're, they're going to learn quickly because they're, how fast their neurons reset is going to be key. Their center frequency of alpha, if that's higher, they're going to process information faster and intake it and learn better. Their connectivity between certain hubs in the brain, we can take a look at that and go, okay, yeah, they're going to learn better or faster. And these are key components. And, and uh, some people are just very gifted. Uh, they have higher density uh, of white matter in certain areas, you know, whether it's a musician, whether it's a mathematician or a physicist or, or someone in dance or, or whatever, um, a, a rapper will, will, you know, these guys can talk so fast and so well, it's just amazing. But, you, you know, they, they have a high concentration, you know, in, in Brokaw's area. And we'd look at those key components or guitarist. I, I, I do a lot of music myself and, and really enjoy that. And I, I look at their, their brains and uh, the area on the sensory motor uh, strip is very developed in these guys. And it's because of practice and really good practice over time. They develop the signature that's always, you know, kind of there just waiting. And as a, there's a, a frequency that comes up too in our resilience, um, the sensory motor rhythm frequency, this low uh, beta that I was talking about before. And when that comes up more and more and more in people, people are more ready, but they're more relaxed too. So it's kind of like that tiger waiting to pounce but the whole body's relaxed. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the best. And, and you're ready when you're ready. You, you're, mm -hmm. you're not, you, you know, uh, you don't hold that tension beforehand because it's, it's not needed. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's get a little bit uh, spiritual, shall we say. <clears throat> so um, Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, she did a beautiful TED talk about what's it like to have the muse visit her? That's her mentality, right? Her job is to be ready when the muse visits, uh, and then she's ready to write down whatever the muse is able to channel through her. <clears throat> so she's all about that. Well, well, well let's go into that. You, you know, this is state-dependent aspects, right? So when you're going through these deeper states and, and eyes closed and you're going through your meditation and, and you're, you're in this field of consciousness. Now, the deer comes to you during that time, or, or what, whether it's an entity or, 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 or a vision or something like that. When you're quiet and still in that field, this is when they come to you. And, and you'll feel it neurologically. Um, I, it feels like the top of my head kind of pops off. And that's, that's when I get the vision, the information that those insight it's like oh you, you know that's 
and, and uh, people like Ben Franklin used to do this, get in this deep hypnagogic state, right? Used to stand against the wall with a pie pan with, with some barbarians, the steel barbarians in his hand and go in these deeper states so he could come up with things to invent. And when he got too deep, he would drop the barbarians and they'd make a noise and he'd bring himself back, right? Just uh, Einstein did the same thing. He, he didn't, he wasn't up against the chalkboard you, you know, creating formulas when, when he came up with the theory of relativity, right? He was playing with sunlight, leaning back, kind of like, oh, and poof. People get this in the shower too. Water is a big thing. So if you want to cultivate, you know, these ideas just in a day-to-day practice, have a water feature around you, you know, and, and mm. you, you know, like Lionel Richie would say, oh, I came up with the best ideas in the shower, right? This, this whole song came to me. And, and it's that time where the water's hitting you and, and you're, you're, you're getting out of your own way during that time. So sensory input is consistent and it kind of takes you out of overthinking about external, extrinsic, going intrinsic, going internally during that time. So doing that time of, of getting the information. So your, your gamma, the upper frequency is popping that, that, that theta, that lower frequency gamma rides on theta. So we want to cultivate both. So you want that wave and you want the surfer at the same time. You know, if you have the surfer, everyone doing gamma, right. And you, you don't have any waves. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're just sitting out there on the on the ocean and doing nothing. And and without the surfer too, you 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 don't want to just cultivate uh, certain frequencies and 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 miss all the key points of, of those downloads of those insights during that time. But it's it's being able to listen is key. Right. So we've been talking about earlier. It's about cultivating having the skill to ride the wave. What I was referring to, I remember exactly what it was, engineering the environment, which you alluded to already, right? To be in the shower, the water features, you know, the, the right time, the right place, so that you have the environment to invite the temp, to have the temple to invite the muse or, you know, whatever the download you received. Do you use something like what Ben Franklin did that as a way to um, leverage the hypnagogic state, Ab state Ab between sleep and wakefulness? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I really got into this, this is in the mid nineties, I, I uh, invented a sound chair, a transducers into a uh, kind of like a zero gravity chair. I built this whole thing. So I inject sound frequencies into the body, right? And it, balances out the sympathetic and parasympathetic system. And then once those frequencies, I turn those off and then my system is ready for those deeper states. Then I would hook up the EEG and we start training those, those alpha and theta frequencies, lower frequencies, eyes closed, and, and really start developing those, those peak states that, that come in during that time. Um, I, I think, you know, like sound induction, whether it's what they call transducer or vibroacoustics, um, is a big thing. A lot of people are just not connected to their body. 
they're really good up here, but they're not connected to their body. But being able to relax, whether it's just a guided um, relaxation, guided hypnotherapy or guided meditation, it's just squeezing each muscle and letting it go, right? All through the body. That's going to help incredibly well. Breathing at a certain point, like Qigong breathing, right? And you can get your, in, in five minutes, if you're just going the uh, two breaths in through the nose and one through the mouth, the, right? If you do that for five minutes, it shifts everything. It's, um, it, it's rather profound. And there's different breathing techniques for a hundred different things. And it, it, I can't high, highly, you know, say enough that, you know, really explore breathing. It's the easiest, cheapest, and most profound thing that you can do. Is there a book? Is there a course that you would direct us to in terms of want to dive deeper into the science of breathing? Right yeah. Um, uh, let, let me see. I, uh, I, uh, James Nestor, that, that's the name. Yeah. Um, so right. breath. And then there's apps out there that will lead you through all of these. So you just have to look through the apps and see, okay, this one speaks to me uh, and, and is accurate. Um, but, but James came up, you, you know, his book is brilliant. You read it a few times and, mm. and, and practice it. You know, you can do Wim Hof, right? You, you, can, you can do the Subo breathing, the, the, the stuff to really kind of get you heated up and get your resilience up. And, and, and that's useful too um you can go into holotropic breathing by stanlif groff right he was doing the lsd research early on and once they made the lsd um basically illegal he, he had to do something to, to shift like to do consciousness exploration so that's when he was doing the holotropic breath work that he came up with so that's another path to go down to and it's very interesting so let's the double click on um Stannis Graf, real quick. He, I believe, had a side interest to help people with high performance as well. Did he yeah. ever come up with something like that afterwards? Because I know he said he wanted to do it, but he didn't quite do it. He, that was my understanding. Did he, did he have any more uh, extensive research? Not, not that I know of it. And honestly, I haven't looked into the further uh, work. Um, you know, I done a lot of the breathing back in the nineties and just to, you know, kind of get my foot in the door and, and explore it and why it did the certain things. And then I went much more Eastern, uh, especially okay. when I went back into school for, for uh, traditional Chinese medicine and uh, really learning those key points uh, with that. And are you feel you know are you feeling the energy through the system and what is the breath doing and then you become very nuanced and how to shift things and you know are, are you able to control temperature in one finger and versus the other hand type thing? Wow, that's really fascinating. Yeah, um, I did a pasana some years ago and it was really fascinating to see not just what's happening with the mind but also what's happening in the body, how the body respond. And then that was when I realized my mind is my body, my body is my mind. There's a really strong correlation to the two. And 
um, I don't have control per se, but I can see some correlation to it. Yeah. And, you, you know, um, let's say I'm working with someone and, and we're working with the parietal region of, of the brain, the right side specifically, um, we're able to really link up that brain and body. We're able to get people. And, and let's say you're, you're, you're in a, a high state of, of anxiety, uh, people with, um, you know, that body feeling of anxiety, whether it's agitation or constipation or uh, this feeling that they just can't relax. Uh, once we start training that circuit, all of a sudden, everything kind of lets go. It's like, oh, I don't have to be in, in this tension the whole time. I can let go. And you can bring yourself into tension when appropriate, when you're ready to do something. But when you're not, take off that parking brake. You don't need that parking brake on the whole time. You know? Yeah, most people think, at least modern householders, think that the body is just going to do what the body is going to do. And Winhoff is a phenomenal example how just how much precision and control we actually have with the body if yeah. we pay attention to it if we train ourselves to do it so and um, i wish all outcomes were the same and, and some people are very gifted in, in this and you know they they have abilities beyond you know whether you're an olympic athlete i could train the same as them it doesn't mean i'm going to be an olympic athlete you know <laughs> um you'll never see me on the nba court it just, it's not going to happen. Um, never say never, Dr. Drew. <laughs> it may, maybe as a, as a ball boy, you know, kind of <laughs> bringing them their towels type thing. But, you know, there's uh, some people that are much more naturally gifted in that. Don't let that discourage you because if you're comparing yourself to other people, then you, you've already lost the, the game, basically. What you want to do is find your gifts find find where you really flow and and, and my mm -hmm. gift is in training right my, my gift is to helping people nurture and cultivate themselves and i love to see successes out there with, with everyone comes out and all of a sudden they're on the top of the game and they're you know you know they they they're they're masters of their industry and they're making changes in the world and they're doing good um that fills my heart well, you're speaking to another person who is very much like that as well. My biggest joy is to seeing people really step into uh, their fear and then transmute that into something that's a beautiful gift that can give in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for the work that you do. Why don't we talk about your origin story a bit? Yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you start off knowing that that's the path that you wanted to take? Like, Hey, I'm a teacher. I'm destined to be a teacher. Let me go on that. No, path not, not a transition. Not even close. Um, I, I wanted to be an astronaut. I mean, that was my whole goal. Uh, and I went into the military to become that. And, uh, I went into submarines because it was, I thought, or I hoped it was the, a, a good training platform so I could step into uh, something up in space because you're in a closed environment, right? You're, you're in a lot of stress all the time. And I, I, I spent a, you know, quite a, a bit of time underneath the Arctic Circle in a submarine. 
but this is where I also had my epiphany too, you know, kind of like, what are we doing as humanity uh, in, in with what we're doing? You know, what, what was my mission? What, what were we doing? And kind of in that moment, it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're on this mode of dust kind of spinning around in space. We have, we're not going anywhere fast. You know, we're, we're not uh, migrating to Mars anytime soon. We're not going to different galaxies anytime soon. And the, the, the care and, and, you know, our stewardship here on earth, you know, what are we doing to take care of each other? What are we doing to take care of the environment? And this became very um, uh, much in my mind during that time. And when I got out, um, it was seeking those patterns that I could use at that point to leverage for it. And and it's not about just world peace and and, and make everything uh, in this equanimity of, of balance but how, how do we evolve how, how do we do that in consciousness and, and once I going back through school once I saw EEG work I went oh this is a key of information that we haven't had access to before because we can't see into the mind mental health has always been a stigma right and, and in this stigma we really hold back like oh they're they're depressed or they're anxious or they're schizophrenic or, you know, oh, you know, they're really whacked because they're doing the, these really weird states of consciousness or they're, they're in some cave meditating for 30 years. And once we start looking under the hood, then we can see, oh, this is what's going on. We can cultivate that more and, and, and really move through that. So I saw the, the, you know, the psychophysiological, the EEG work as just a a lens into these states of consciousness and awareness. And my whole goal now is to bring about an awakening so that we're not in conflict. There's, there's no need for war anymore. I mean, you know, we're, we're stuck on this planet. That's, that's it right now. And, and where we can really explore is internally and, and bring about a cultivation of ourself on a much higher level. We can be in balance. Um, we don't have to be in struggle uh, within this. And, you know, we, we bring about this struggle because we, we are, whether it's resources, whether it's reactivity, whether it's childhood wounds, you, you know, you see a lot of leaders with a huge amount of childhood trauma. And when they're under pressure, guess how they're reacting? Those patterns. Trauma response. Yeah, yeah trauma response. So once they move through that, all of a sudden, their whole environment shifts. They change their, their, the people that are around them. They change their friends. They, they change how they uh, interact with their boards, right? And, and they change the, the navigation of their whole company. And it's just not about kind of grinding to be on top. It's, it's about what, what can we really do as a group to make this a beautiful place. And, you know, awakening into happiness, um, getting, it's not just being about in bliss uh, because we don't tend to do things, but about exploration and and about really bringing the heart forward in our interaction. And 
not being in, in this competition mindset where we're destroying other people around us, but, but encouraging them and bringing them up. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. Um, how do you describe those people? I mean, my, my words are quite limited. I call them seekers, conscious, impact driven yeah. creators. Hey. How do you call them? <laughs> And, 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 and seeker is, is a great because they're always learning. They, they have this, you know, we're all, it's a growth mindset. And, and that's the, probably the biggest bucket word I could give you here mm. is always having a growth mindset. How can I be better and do more and be more of more service to those around me? Mm-hmm. And also like when to say no for yourself. It's like, okay, how can I be the best person that I can be and not wear myself out by just giving to others? I need to cultivate this. It's, it's, it's like having a vase, right? And you're filling it with water. If it's straight up and down and that water is filling, it, it can pour out into others. If, if you're just giving to others and, and the vase is off, right? The water is coming down, but it's not filling yourself. And mm-hmm. you can only pour so much out before you're empty. Mm-hmm. And, and that's balance in Taoism, right? Exactly. Yep. The yin, the yang, finding the middle way. Even Confucius said it's the same thing. The middle way. He's big on the middle way. Yeah. So, um, so in terms of your personal awakening, was there, so when you were doing the EEG work, you were focusing more on pathological conditions right and now you're focusing more on leaders and awakening of leaders mm-hmm. helping them get to peak states so that they have more impact in the world in a positive way so was there a your own awakening moment somewhere in the middle well i, I think in those deeper states as i was exploring um the hypnagogic states and what we call alpha theta in, in this um you start getting information that you've never had before. You start going, mm-hmm. where did that thought come from? And then you start feeling pulled in a certain direction. And, and, and then as certain things align, then everything starts just to fall into place. And you start listening uh, rather than just doing. And it's, it's like music. It's, it's that space between the notes that makes the magic, right? Because um, if all the notes are played at once, you can't hear the, the, the song. Mm-hmm. And it's that listening that, that really gives a, a deep sense of like, oh, there it is. But we have to shut up this monkey mind of overthinking and, and doing everything and let ourselves unfold into our, our, our passion you know, finding your passion, finding your, your route, your, your way in life and how we can do things that really help everything around us and, and our families, our, our colleagues, our friends. Working with world-class people, entrepreneurs, creators, athletes, What's the most difficult or the biggest challenge or the biggest barriers you had to help them go through typically? Obviously, everyone's different, but Mm -hmm. 
the common difficulties, the biggest difficulties that the hardest time to overthinking. Over okay, uh, they, they, speaking they, to an overthinker. Fantastic. They're, they're way in their mind. So, the, <laughs> so this frontal cingulate is just firing, 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 right? And, and they're going to figure this out until they let go. They won't realize that state of, of floating in, in in this greater consciousness. Because once you're engaged in that beta, that, that forward to back thinking, the, the, the coffee type of thought process, it, it really gets things done. And, and that's been in the industry. You know, if, if you're a CEO or, or just a leader in your own life, to get things done, you're in very much in beta mode, which is great to get things done. But you don't get insight. You don't get wisdom. You, you don't really get into those deeper thoughts without those pauses so taking breaks and, and you know just going away and, and cutting off all media cutting off all the distractions around you because those will take you away from the deeper thoughts from the wisdom that comes out so overthinking is, is a big thing being too busy is another not being in gra gratitude is, a, is another. Uh, as soon as people start really getting into gratitude, all of a sudden things become magic around them. And people see the change in them. And all of a sudden they wanna be around you more because they feel better around you. So let me double click on that. Is it just a frequency of gratitude practice or is there intensity of gratitude practice? Both. As well? So, one of the hardest things you can do, like let's say you're doing a forgiveness on someone mm -hmm. or gratitude on someone. The hardest thing to do is doing a forgiveness on someone you hate. Now it's easy to do a forgiveness on someone you love, right? And, and that'll, that'll get, get you up the road a little bit. Now, now with this component, if you're doing that on someone you hate, it's 30 times the effect that you do than if you did someone you love. So uh, working toward that gratitude or forgiveness toward someone that you hate or, or you, you know, has done a huge bad thing, then we're really, you really change the needle with that. So it, it is about, you wanna stay consistent. It should be a daily thing. You, you don't want to go outside of like 48 hours because we see the heart shift back. Wait, wait, back in, up. What does that mean? 40 hours. I don't understand. So do a gratitude practice every day. You don't mm -hmm. want to go uh, outside of 48 hours before you do a gratitude practice. It can just mm -hmm. be a couple of them, but it changes the heart. It changes how the heart responds. And the same with HRV training too. We see that. So if you're doing that every two days or every day, then it, it, it's much easier to maintain. It's kind of like having air underneath that, that, that glider and, and it's easier to keep up. You know, let's say you made that paper glider and you've th thrown it and it just keeps the wind up. You don't have to pick it up all the time and keep throwing it then. Another analogy would be a flywheel effect. Yeah. When with wheels going, you just a little bit more. So just a little bit more. And, and then it keeps on, keeps on going. Yeah. Free energy, right? <laughs> um, 
let's segue to what you're working on these days. Uh, I'm really, really excited about this new project that you're involved with, Sensei. Yeah. You also are doing uh, this other project, Hidden Roots Society. Is that right? Yeah. Tie it back to why is this the cutting edge programs or technology that you're working on after 40 years, I think 25 years, 40 years of Zen and these type of projects? Why are you excited about these? Well, I'm finding that, that people need their to dial in themselves so I can help a very specific, you know, one on one type of things. So like, let's say you, you, your needs as, you know, as CK and a man and at this stage in your life. And we look at diagnoses with um, traditional Chinese medicine and, and Western training too, that like, okay, you, you, you need more of this or more of that. Uh, and the, the reason for Hidden Root Society is to, to really cultivate, you know, this is what you need herb-wise, nutrition-wise to optimize who you are. And it's, we can treat disease and things like that in, in that sense, but it's much more, it's easier to cultivate health and keep it going rather than going, oh, okay, we, we have this malady going on. Now we have to attack that, right? An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of pound cure. Pound of cure, right. So speak, right? Yeah, so we want to get to the root of things. And that's why I called it Hidden Root Society. Mm. Um, so it's a membership aspect where you can really get into like, okay, this is how you interact with me or another practitioner and, and really dial in what you need as a person for you. You know, do, do, do you need certain herbs for certain things or how do you dial in your day for nutrients and, and things like that? So that's what we do. And then with Sensei. Oh, um, hey, before you go there. Mm -hmm. So with Sensei, there's a scientific instrument to help you quantify and measure data. I'm big right. on data. I'm PhD in biomedical engineering, all the beautiful things. In roots, are there data like do you measure the gut flora how do you know whether or not their internal body is happy so, so there, there are you know depending on the level that you are working with we we, we can do blood work we can, we can do um you know like a a biome testing right uh genova labs or or, or gi map or whoever we're going to use you, you know for that person depending on what their need is um, so there's key components that we're looking at, but it doesn't tell the whole picture. And then in traditional Chinese medicine, we're, we're looking at pulse and tongue and we're, we're going through all the questions of how they're doing uh, to see how, how they're operating as a whole person rather than, okay, you don't have headaches anymore, which is awesome, but um, what else is going on? Got it. Thanks. Sensei, please. All right. So Sensei, uh, and, and, and this is the, oh, one yes. of the first caps. Um, and you got to see this. You, you're, you're I like, did. I actually tested it out. The, one of the first person in the world to, to test this out. Um, so this does a number of things. So, so we have the EEG, of course, so we can look at all your meditation techniques and, and peak performance techniques and brain brightening techniques. If you're, you're, uh, 
not as sharp as, as you were. And then we look at HRV, heart rate variability, to, to really develop that aspect of heart to brain. And then we have photobiomodulation too, which is basically- yeah, that's a big Can you say more about that? Yeah, so this is shining light basically into the head and providing uh, a driver, uh, basically it's providing energy into mitochondria and neurons, uh, what we're finding to help them do better and produce more. And there's so many studies out coming, coming out right now with photobiomodulation, everything from dementia to um, uh, just peak states of performance. Um, it really helps with cognition. And uh, as, as we move along with the, you know, what frequencies and how often um, it really helps modulate that. So we use it in combination to really optimize. So you don't have to spend as much time doing EEG work to get to that same spot. So it's stim and train and stim and train. And I find that to be a lot better than just train or just stim by itself. Mm. And getting your heart in in sync is that combination that sweet spot of really moving forward rather quickly and you can do this at home you just you have your iphone or your ipad or android or whatever and uh it'll help you with your meditation or help you with your peak performance states um it's it's the easy access is, is it going to do as much as like a full brain map and all this uh, training that, that I'll do at my office. No, but it's that training in between consumer grade, consumer grade. Yeah. Not professional grade. I got right. You. So, so if, if you have epilepsy or traumatic brain injury or something like that, you want to go to a practitioner and, and utilize them. And, uh, it's much more for that. Mm. What's, what's the latest technology you're most excited about? I know I, I mentioned Colonel with Brian Johnson, as you know, they, mm -hmm. it's like, I think like hundred grand or something for a professional hardware device. So right, no right. Yeah. What that is like yet. What is the latest um, technology specifically you're really excited about? Well, besides the sensei. Um, besides the sensei. <laughs> yep. Of course. Um, I, I think as we move into bio wearables, um, we're seeing more of the, the photobiomodulation with pulsed electromagnetic frequencies or transcranial frequencies. So we can help shift states. Um, I think some of the devices coming up there are uh, really promising. And I, I think as we help cultivate more and more people, the more data we get, the more we're able to train ourselves into those states. But it really comes down to, hey, are we training the kids for these states? So if you learn it young, all of a sudden you don't have to go, oh, no, I'm, I'm at 50 and I have to relearn all this stuff. I have to, I, yeah, unlearn and relearn. Yes, right. Absolutely. And, you know, you have a 63-year-old 63 63 CEO that's going, oh, crap, I have to relearn this stuff, don't I? I have to get over and I've been abusing people all the way through. I am on top, but you know, all these things I have to undo. And it, if we're cultivating that in like, let's say middle school or even younger, if they're very aware of themselves and their heart 
and, and, and their mind and controlling that, all of a sudden, everything in their direction in life shifts. They're not in abusive relationships. They're not abusing themselves. They're able to navigate through very conscious and heartfelt equanimity in their own lives. So I'm a martial artist and I'm a practitioner. I believe that having awareness and therefore um, competency in these type of skills, the earlier, the better. That's my opinion. But there are other opinions who says something alone, like 25 years or so, if I recall correctly. So they don't recommend younger people to have consciousness shift because their mind's so malleable or something like that. So therefore don't get into, you know, <laughs> this type of practices early on. Well, I, it, it, I haven't, it, it's, it's not, it's anecdotal. So I don't have any yeah. research data on that. What's your opinion on that? So it really depends on the age and the neurological growth. So there's certain patterns up to seven years old that, that we don't want to interfere with, you know, if it's pathological, yes. And then as they start cultivating into like the lower teens, like 11 to 13 year olds, we see development out of uh, into a more mature brainwave. So this is a key time frame, you, you know, like let's say 12 years old and above that they really want to start developing. And again, is it too much or is it not enough? You, you want to help them develop the strong sense of self as they're developing. And not take away from them their, their own aspect of self, which EEG does not do. Yeah. Um, it's environment that, that typically, and judgment and, and abuse and things like that, that really, you know, harms them. So at that age, this is where you want to start cultivating consciousness practice. And, you know, it makes the teenage years a lot better. Um, they're not in this constant angst of hormones and, you, you know, all, all the aspects of what society is doing and, and the tweet and, and the TikTok and Instagram and, and all the things that are giving them input of uh, whether it's psychological or body or, or you know, judgment on themselves. Um, you you want to give them a, a healthy a healthy reflection and by doing these things it does yeah so guys let's thank dr drew from spending his time sharing his expertise his narratives his inspiring stories with us just spend a minute so dr drew you don't know this but i'm big on micro action because in any kind of knowledge consumption the if you can commit to a micro action then that's 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 the gem that's needed that, that that you get from the interaction right so guys put it in the chat what is one micro action that you're going to take on as a result of dr drew sharing so generously his wisdom his knowledge his expertise with us What's one tiny action, micro action, nano action <laughs> that you're gonna, you're gonna take on? So while they do that, Dr. Drew, from me to you, I just so appreciate um, your commitment, your generosity, and your approach. 
to use technology to help us navigate the path, the evolution to help us um, go to be better in our mentality, emotionality, spirituality, and also physicality. Thank you so much for just generously share on Noble Warrior, your journey. Yeah, and thank you for being you. You're, you're, you're doing a wonderful, exquisite thing for society and, and it's voices like yours that really shift the needle and really give it, gives us hope for something better. Awesome. Thank you, CK. Complete.